0: Don't talk, just listen. Dispatches on the Cinefunks podcast network. Uh, they, They are not what they claim to be. The woman Cassandra watched her own foot, not entirely believing it could be moving as it now did. The foot, more accurately, the stout walking boot in which the foot was nestled, stood just inside the metal doorframe of the apartment building. Her apartment building. The apartment building she had fought a war to inhabit. Hers. And in a moment, the foot would rise and pass over the threshold into the hard pavement of the keep and then would bear her both of her feet would bear her out of the keep and then out of the city then onward into well that was the real question once you got down to it what exactly was there to look forward to after the end of the world people cross through doorways every day it is not so momentous an occasion. Inevitably, there are those occasions when a threshold is crossed and can never be passed back through again. But most often, you do not know when a given crossing will be the final one. How are you to know that today is the day when the road will seize tightly to the sole of your shoes and carry you and your soul, onward to, well, there is that question again. Cassandra had made peace with living in a world formed of questions that came with no easy answers, or any answers at all. Such was life beneath the black sun. And she was good at living beneath the black sun. It made sense to her in a way that life beneath the golden never had. This city was her territory. Her scars reflected in all its torn streets. If she wasn't the woman Cassandra, hacking away at some fiend, be it human, animal, or etc., with her sickle blade, while tearing down alleyways, if she wasn't lurching from one doom mission to the next then who the hell was she? She inhaled, she exhaled. She was the woman who was loved by Priya Patel. And she had made a promise to her lost love to fight until the very last. She could not do that here in the city. Death had set its claws into the city, and there was no promise that release would ever come. The only move left was to leave the board. To set out in this way went against every survival instinct Cassandra possessed. And it was all in service of a quest that would almost certainly fail somewhere between here and an indeterminate conclusion. Foolish. That was the only word for it. Cassandra's attention left her foot and went to her hand. Her hand that did not wait to arrive at destiny but moved to meet it. Fixing her love square into her heart, Cassandra stepped out. One foot and then the other, one foot and then the other. The hard part over, Cassandra began to walk. She studiously ignored the massive, staring crowd. Every eye traced her path, including the black orbs overhead. The black sun and its twin still leaked a thrumming vein of undiluted hatred down towards the city, towards this woman. Everyone knew Cassandra was leaving. The word had gone out far and gone out fast, but believing it... That was something else. She had fought for this city, slain beasts of every size for it, waged a war over it. She couldn't just leave. She couldn't just quit. Her footsteps echoed off hollow canyons of glass and steel. Two bodies stepped clear of the crowd. Mustafa and Terry both laid in down with packs. The man and the young gargoyle said nothing. Some bonds do not require words to be affirmed. The pair fell into step with Cassandra. Others stepped out, joining the walk. At first, it was only the other survivors from Cassandra's last tribe those outliers who had followed her through fire and dark to be delivered to this safety. If she said it was time to move on, then it was time. They trusted she would deliver them once more. But the residents of the keep eyed one another unsure. Tension tight as a taut rubber band rose among the crowd, the tension of many bodies aching to move but struck rigid by the refusal to be the first to do so. The first to do so was Patty Klein. Hair like fire. Small bag containing everything she owned clutched in two hands. She came back to herself as if waking from a dream, unsure of how she came to be where she was. Every eye now fell on her, Patty Klein did not consider herself brave. She did not consider herself much of anything. Introspection was best left to those with self esteem enough to handle it and time enough to waste. What she had instead was instinct. Like the cockroach who somehow saunches clear of each and every blast radius, the Patty Kleins will float along as the winds blow and somehow always land on solid ground. Squaring her shoulders and retreating into the dull buzz of forward, live, forward, live that drove her, aimed her, Patty Klein began to walk. The next to break the crowd was Yemi Osgood. She met the crowd's eyes with her own defiance in her brown stare. Yeah? she demanded. It's either take a chance on life or be certain of death. You'll make up your minds. I already have. Holding nothing, she spun on her heel and set off. The crowd moved in groups now. Streams of ones, clumps of two, sudden rivers that swelled to flash floods as like steppers found pace side by side. Packs were stuffed with bowls and jugs to catch water with food that could survive a few days outside refrigeration. No one knew how long these current supplies would need to last for. No one knew to what or where they headed. But in the motion, but in their motion, in this movement, there was expressed at least a chance, a possibility, a hope. That even as the city withered away its last someone or something of it might survive the twin eyes overhead stared hating each and every single one of them Somewhere in the walk to the city's border, a song went up. Later, no one could say who had been the first to raise their voice. I could tell you, but that seems an unworthy thing to do. Allow only this, that suddenly, over the trudging stomp repeating endlessly as foot followed foot, there came a voice whispering the first few lyrics from the song. Hey Jude, no one has ever agreed on who that song was written for. The whisper was heard, somehow, some way, by another set of ears. On another set of lips, the words began to form. And so on, and so forth. Like flame passing from one torch to the next, the music flowed. And when Hey Jude ran out of words, the song continued. McCartney's wails now a monk's chant rising up through the blasted city like vapor on a blindingly hot day. Cassandra felt the words on her back like a steadying hand from a familiar friend. In song, the procession moved through the streets, bomb black and removed of all life. Now, the chant rang with exorcism as if through volume they could shake ghosts loose of their stains and scare shadows back to their hiding places. The remains of old battles did not move, but their survivors did. The more ruins they pushed beyond, the more it felt as if great weights slid off shoulders and rust flaked and scattered from between long static joints. Cassandra heard the gasps and sighs from behind her, and felt those same exaltations in her own chest. But she moved stone-faced, not stopping or looking back until they reached the city's final borders, where the streets gave out and the grains of the midnight desert waited. Still as stone, Cassandra faced her followers. The echoing steps and the raised voices had led her to believe there's an army at her back, that the whole of the keep had joined her. In fact, what she saw now was only a bit more than a crowd. Well clear of a hundred, but far short of two. The vast majority of those who lived in the keep had elected to stay there. Cassandra, I suppose, she did not blame them. It was a mad thing to forsake familiar safety in favor of harsh new uncertainty but even if Cassandra did not blame them she could hate them a little because she knew she would feel an ache over every one of their deaths even if the grief was not fairly distributed Cassandra would add hers to what she already wore and stagger onwards And she hated them because, she supposed, now she would always wonder if she played the fool by leaving the city. Any death on the road would now be owned by her entirely. And she'd only imagine how much worse that guilt would feel with the city still there, with its upright walls and its defenses still in place. Who the hell was she to play Pied Piper? It didn't matter, she decided. She had vowed to keep going until the last breath. She had hoped others would be there with her, but that was not the promise she had struck. Cassandra stepped into the desert, the sand massed around the boot like groping fingers. She pulled the boot free, put the next one down, and kept going, crossing the first half mile of desert until she stood at last before the black forest so recently grown when the gods fell. Voices surrounded and shoved her as the crowd fell in behind her and pulled close. Before Cassandra could say or do anything more, the air grew hot and humid and heavy. Hands swatted invisible flies and left trails in the empty space. Something was going wrong. Cassandra pushed through the crowd back the way they had come. When she was clear. She could see the whole of the city waiting for them like an open embrace. No, Cassandra said, unsure of what she was protesting. No, this this can't happen. It could happen. And then it did. Like Krill passing into the pulsing void of an approaching whale's maw, the city at first did not comprehend that it was being devoured. The denizens of the keep watched Cassandra lead her devoted, clear, with some witnesses even following the walk to the city's borders before retreating back to the confines of safety. When the red tumors began to grow, they first amassed out of the ground and into the terrain of the outliers. Like weeds made of meat, the red wove its way between the cracks in asphalt, through doorways and into bricks and concrete. What it touched, it festered into, fusing its own self into the existing until there was no telling where one began and the other ended. It crept inward. Justin Matheson was walking down the street when he stopped walking. He looked at his shoes, the one neck to the other, and tried to lift them. Muscles flexed, but nothing moved. Justin flexed again, and this time he was rewarded with movement. The red tore through the tops of his shoes and climbed upward. He threw his head back to scream, but the red was in his throat was growing out of his throat. Justin was falling, falling away from his own body, skin peeling clear of viscera that glommed onto the red that continued to climb, his eyes continuing to see for a long while until they finally, mercifully, sank into the mass. The red ate. Without malice, without hate, it ate. Mothers grabbed their children close, only for the red to spear through bodies connecting flesh to flesh in a way unseen since the womb. The people of the keep had not wanted to ever leave the city. Now they never would. Better. Now they were a part of the city, the red connecting material with meat until all were alive in a shared death, all now the one organism A city cannot cry out as it dies, it lacks the lungs and the lips required. Instead, the only sound to mark this passing was the chorus of wings from the birds that leapt into the grey slate sky rather than be consumed. All stood still, locked in place by the bulging cobwebs of gristle and gore. And then the death God began to swallow. And then the city did cry out. It cried in the language of shattered glass and crumpled concrete. It wailed its demise with popping gas mains, with cars pulverizing bodies between them and gravity. From the entryway into the black forest, Cassandra and her followers listened to the music of a city's death. They stood framed by the trees, watching in stunned silence. The city screeched in new pain as the tumors began to retract. As if it was the water of a ceaseless tide, black sand rushed to fill the void as inch after inch of the city sank. Soon there would be weeping. Soon... These paltry few survivors would cling to one another, this contact the only life raft against the cold of that grief. Soon, the tears would settle and be replaced by a numb kind of sorrow. For now, there was truly no going back. Now, there was only the wasteland and the monsters who were already at home. Then there would be tears again, for those now gone, for those long lost, yes, all of that, but tears also for the city itself, for the history it held in its mortar and stones, for the memory of nights bright as day beneath the firework showers, nights spent on fire escapes while music wafted through open windows. For apartments the size of closets that nonetheless felt as big as a mansion when you step through the door and thought for the first time, this is mine. For symphonies of sirens and concerts of crashes. For the walks of shame, for the sizzle of a breakfast sandwich on a grill, the taste of it the only thing able to chase away, the hangover aches and allow you to start to feel human again. For sticky theater floors and needles next to urinals. For the neighborhood you walked down feeling like the sovereign emperor of everywhere your foot fell. For long summer nights. For freezing winter days. For the city. This city. Gone. People had lived. People had died. People had lived. Gone. Cassandra would not weep. The death god's message was clear. The war was over. The fight was lost. Whatever entertainment or seasoning... It had found in letting life play out. That was all over now. Now it fed. Devouring the city would sate it for a while. By then, she and her survivors need to be gone from here. Devouring the city would sate it for a while. For how long, she did not know. When it grew hungry again she and her survivors needed to be gone from here. But to where? She decided she would decide later. For now, all that mattered was taking the next step forward. That step meant that she was moving. That step meant that she was alive. It meant that there was still yet hope enough to take another step after that one. She felt her people's eyes follow her as she turned her back on the new great absence and instead made for the tree line. She felt the hate of the two black suns, the two eyes that loathed every breath she took. She came to the trees hesitated for only the one moment and the cassandra continued forward cassandra stepped into dark And that concludes another episode of Black Sun Dispatches, part of the Cinepunks Podcast Network. As uh, my loyal listeners will know, uh, this is a pretty momentous episode because from day one, the show has been about the city with Black Sun and all the goings on there. And now there is no more city. So what happens next? We'll, uh, we'll find out together in, in, over the next few episodes. But uh, very exciting stuff is happening. Uh, if you enjoy this show or please listen to other CinePunks programming, please visit the CinePunks website and see all the different shows and articles we have to offer. Please support our Patreon. Uh, it all helps uh, help spread the word, rate and review the podcast. Um, it's all, like I said, it's all really, really appreciated. Uh, if you want more information on the show, you can go to Black Sun Show on Twitter or follow me at The True Brendan F uh, and you'll get more updates. Uh, and teaser of things to come. The logo for Blacks and Dispatch was designed by Jennifer Rogers, and the music was Windsor by E.L. Heath. Thank you all for listening to this episode, and I hope you will all be back in a few weeks uh, when the next episode drops, and we'll see uh, what kind of wild stuff is going to create these poor survivors as they wander uh, away from the non-existent city. Uh, so I hope, hope you guys will all join me then, and until next time, have a good one. Bye-bye.